Time to get into the middle of it. Between two Bs. I'm your host, Dave Walker. At our last Leaders Forum in May, our agenda centered on the long-term challenges that plague the small business ecosystem and what we could do to fix them once and for all. We leaned on the experience and the expertise of a number of B to SMB leaders to address topics like small business access to capital and use of new technologies. And we're going to showcase two of those speakers today. Mark Tina, the veteran VP of sales for Verizon Business, is going to talk about product adoption, that second sale that sometimes requires just as much attention, it seems, as the first. Then we'll hear from Laura Goldberg, CMO of Constant Contact, whose long career centers on building trust with that most skeptical of customers we love so much, the small business owner. And we're also going to introduce a new segment on Between Two Bs, the listening post. Every month, we'll invite an SMB insights expert to share the latest research, insights, and perspectives on what's happening with small business today. Our first guest on the listening post is Stephanie Gorski of Accenture. Welcome to Between Two Bs. Let's get in the middle of it. Good day again, everybody. Dave Walker here with the Between Two Bs podcast, and I'm joined by Mark Tina uh, from Verizon Wireless. I've known Mark for several years now. Uh, he is uh, a, a sales leader in the Verizon business organization. Uh, and, you know, if, if you think about just sheer volume of sales business that Mark and his teams uh, do with small businesses around the country, the sheer volume, the number of accounts that they have, the breadth of product offerings that they represent. I don't think there are any players out there or many players out there who have a bigger impact on the small business ecosystem than Verizon Business and Mark and, and his team. So at our past Leaders Forum, um, I asked Mark to talk about uh, along with several other leaders, the long-term challenges that really face small businesses that just are pernicious. They don't seem to actually just go away. They're always there. And I think you can cite back into the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2010s, the, the occurrence of, of some of these challenges, whether it's access to capital or whether it's um, the ability to really get good training for small business teams. One of the ones that, that I wanted Mark to really focus on was technology adoption, because as long as I can remember, um, small businesses have been challenged to adopt and use and fully get the benefit of incredible technologies that are, have arrived at their doorstep. Um, and simultaneous, what by the way, to big business and simultaneous to us as consumers, whether it's the internet or whether it's mobile or whether it's 5G or whether it's now artificial intelligence, there are tons of things that we all kind of intuitively know are going to make our lives better. And certainly small businesses probably intuitively believe it's going to make their lives better, but how do they actually use it? How do they adopt it? So Mark, welcome. With that lead in, um, I'd love to just kind of start from the from a, a simple 411 on the package of products and services that you guys are selling. And, and if you could, just kind of the associated uh, adoption required or, 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 or engagement required of a user, of a buyer of any of these particular services? How have you kind of facilitated that so they can really get up to speed and working with the new technology as quickly as possible? Thank you, Dave, for having me on and for the introduction. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak with you on such important topics. And this one is definitely a big one. So I'll start at the top of the house and you hit it, but Verizon does serve 99% of the Fortune 500, as well as our government customers as well. However, we have a very specific focus in that small medium space. And the reason I mentioned the first couple of segments is we are really democratizing technology where you don't have to be a massive enterprise or a government entity in order to leverage technology. In fact, that same technology is available for that small and mid-sized customer. So you asked specifically for types of technology and what type of adoption is necessary. 
I would say more than ever before, connectivity is paramount to any small business, right? And I'm not only talking about a phone to call people and text message on. I mean, true broadband secure connections that a business runs its business off of, no pun intended, where uh, it could be things as simple as web search, search and, and things like that. But it's also how businesses take point of sale. It's how they connect with their people, with their information, it's how they render their products and services to their clients. A lot of consumers and end users prefer to do business over a digital platform, making it incredibly important for that business to have reliable, secure internet connectivity. So Verizon has always been a provider of broadband via fiber on a wireline network. However, it is now available over our wireless network, also known as fixed wireless access. We also refer to it as business internet. And that's where business customers can get primary and secondary broadband connectivity right over our wireless connection. So basically anywhere our network is up, which obviously covers uh, over 99% of the US population, now you have that broadband connectivity. By way of adoption, uh, this product actually is a plug and play. So you literally activate it, plug it into the wall, and you now have broadband connectivity, much like a Wi-Fi setup throughout the business. And that, again, can serve as a primary or a backup or even a parallel network. Adoption on connectivity is one of the more easier technologies, right? Because you have no choice. You have to use connectivity. You either have the internet or, not, or you don't. And frankly, when it goes down, that business knows immediately when it's down because it can be so disruptive. And that's where this specific technology comes in to help customers with backup. But then moving beyond connectivity, right? And this is where adoption, it, it becomes a little bit more complex. We start to get into what types of solutions are going to layer on top of that connectivity layer. So we sell various different software licenses to our customers. Customers are very much investing in CRM applications, whether it be Salesforce or some other solution. Uh, businesses are investing in cybersecurity, which is extremely important. You've got to secure not only that main connection in the office, but also the mobile endpoints, cell phones, tablets, et cetera. And then they're also investing in things like voice over IP, as opposed to a traditional wireline network. And I can keep going, but what happens is you start to get into those technologies First is the purchase, right? And that's, I don't want to call it easy because making the purchase decision can also be complex, but now you've bought the technology. A, how do you deploy it out to all of the end users? Many of them may be in remote locations, not coming into the office every day. So how do you get the technology out into their hands? But then how do you make those end users comfortable in using the technology? It can be very difficult where they need to be trained. They need to understand why this will lead to a better outcome uh, once fully up and running and deployed. So a lot of times it's getting people, just humans have a natural resistance to change and it's helping people to understand by investing some time to learn this technology and to understand how it will benefit us it, it is really where it starts. So I'll pause there to see where you want me to kind of go a little deeper, but just by way of overview, again, we have a full myriad of solutions and it's a matter of, that business owner making that first step, which is to invest and adopt and deploy to really essentially start somewhere, if you will. So there's lots, lots of directions to go in. And that was a very, very, uh, a, a very rich soup of, of, of a lot of the things that you guys, that you guys are, are, are doing. Um, I liked and understood completely, you know, this, the, the, the notion that the connectivity that you're selling, you're really, at this point, you've really learned to sell it as a plug and play, is to make it as easy as possible. However, there are increasingly complex layers on top of that plug and play. Just, just take cybersecurity as an example. Um, how have you learned to facilitate the adoption of appropriate cybersecurity measures for these small businesses where it isn't one solution fits all, but God knows it's needed by all. So how, how have you guys learned to really train your teams to, to, to functionally organize around making sure that particular adoption of that more complex layer is successful? Really great question. 
question. And I will tell you that it has become literally an imperative to discuss cybersecurity with every customer that we touch. Unfortunately, uh, the bad actors that are out there are becoming increasingly, I'll call it effective in their ability to hack into small, medium business customers, as well as enterprise and government, right? Unfortunately, we read about this all of the time. The downside, though, is one attack can effectively render a, a business no longer in business, uh, depending on what type of attack it is. In fact, over 40% of small, medium business customers that are hit with a significant cyber attack wind up going out of business within two years of the attack. There's just a lot that comes into play, whether it's ransomware for money, or maybe there was so much damage done to the brand, uh, depending on what type of attack it was. So just to answer you specifically, how we start is to really educate the customer, because believe it or not, Dave, I mean, clearly everyone knows how important security is, but most people will admit they really don't have anything in play but they have quote unquote, not been hacked yet. So they think they're okay, but the key word is yet. Everything is good until something happens, right? So by way of education, we, go, we take a few different steps. First of all, and I'm happy to, to provide you with this and, and all the members of our community, it's a free white paper. It's called the DBIR report, which is the data breach investigation report. It comes out annually and this, educates the reader or the end user or the business owner essentially on these are the different types of attacks. This is how this attack could occur in your environment. And here's how you would either prevent against it, mitigate, you know, work with it, unfortunately, if you are hit, and then obviously remediate uh, in those types of situations. So it's not just phishing anymore. There's things like smishing, which comes through text messaging, right? There's uh, ransomware of various levels. Uh, believe it or not, de denial of service is the main one. And that's where just a bad guy wants to cripple your business. And it basically gets into your, the hack gets into your main infrastructure and literally takes down your website, your ability to do things like point of sale, et cetera. So this report educates the customers, which always opens up additional conversation. We then have a technical sales organization that we love to bring into the account. These are engineers and architects that will walk the customer through that report in a little bit more detail and then provide them, look, these are some ways that you can protect, say, your mobile endpoints, your phones, your tablets, et cetera, which is really a software application that runs on the device, resides on the device. And then, you know, you can either protect the data that's at rest on the device. You can protect the data at the network layer coming in and out of the device. So there's that. And then there's obviously security at the main infrastructure, things that we were talking about earlier um, that the business relies upon. Uh, we also do things, for example, it's called a pen test, which stands for penetration test. This is where Verizon will ultimately, I'm just going to say it, hack that customer's account as if they were the bad guy and then provide a report and say, hey, so these are the 17 points of vulnerability that you have within your business. What are you tolerable with? What are you not? And these are the first steps you would take to kind of close these gaps. And from there, the customer can choose to do business with Verizon directly. Uh, we are a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for security, or they may go to another company, perhaps a competitor of ours to remediate those issues. But if I were a business owner, I would 100% want that test to be run. And I would want to know my points of vulnerability. And from there, depending on my budget, depending on my timeline, I would figure out how, and again, it's the topic of our discussion today, to actually adopt that security technology. And the last thing I'll say on this topic, the good news with security, that adoption, Dave, is really, I've already talked about it, in the learning and making the decision. Because with cybersecurity, once you've purchased it and it's layered in, it set it and forget it. You don't interact with it. In fact, you don't even know uh, that it's running uh, unless something happens. It's going to alert you and say, hey, I caught this or I caught that. So in this particular technology, the adoption comes much more in the learning and decision making than actually using the technology once it's implemented. Um, fascinating. And, and I think that the, the, you know, obviously makes intuitive sense that a better informed small business would be more likely to actually take the steps to adopt 
um, either additional layers or the full feature set of a product or service that they bought, whatever, that, 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 you know, the more educated, the more they have a foundation really in understanding the value and how they can extract the value of what it is they purchased, the better they're, the better off they're going to be. But in, in, from a process standpoint, I'm curious, and from an organizational standpoint, it's easy to imagine, you know, a, a sales force that is directly charged with selling those, those connections and selling those software packages and selling those, those devices that are really kind of part of that initial sale. Is there, uh, you mentioned your technical sales organization, is there culturally kind of an acceptance within the organization that we have to work really hard after the revenue? We have to work really hard after the sale is generated in making sure that we are securing the, the, the customer's use of the product or service, their loyalty, their, their ability to frankly go to another level, go to a next level. Talk a little bit about how, because I know you, you've, you, you're managing close to 2,500 sales reps. How are you kind of working with them to help them understand yeah, you're not you're not done at the signature. You know, you, you, a, a good a good moment has been reached. Congratulations, we're not done yet. So, how do you do that? Excellent frame up there because it's become more relevant what you just talked about than ever before. I mean, let's face it, there were times. You know, I've been in this industry for almost twenty five years, where when it was major growth mode, you just shipped the devices to the customer, whether it were flip phones, smartphones, whatever it were, they were off to the races. Of course, you'd want to check in with the customer. Any good professional salesperson is going to maintain relationships and hopefully look for referrals and things like that. However, as we're discussing here, the technology has become complex and the, there is so much competition out there that what you talked about is just as important as getting the ink on the paper. Now, our best salespeople, professionals, understand how important that aftercare is, right? Because it's not only to make sure that the adoption takes place, to make sure that the end user is satisfied with the technology, but to uncover more needs, right? We are fortunate that we sell so many different technologies, and I've only named a few on this call here today, that essentially your journey with that customer is really never over. In fact, something today that the business might or might not need they could need uh, down the road as their business grows or their business changes or they want to compete differently in their said vertical or industry. And so we are treating, teaching our people to be much more relationally fo uh, focused on their accounts to build relationships versus transactionally based where it was, how many phones do you need? How many tablets do you need? Have a nice day. It's more around getting to understand that customer, knowing what other decision makers are in the account, and in fact, we've just rolled out an entire new professional selling, uh, I'll call, I wouldn't call it a paradigm, but just methodology for our reps to really focus much more on that relationship, on the true needs of the customer. What are the pain points? What is the agreed upon value? And how do we collaborate to then really do what we're talking about here today is implement the technology for that customer. So we've literally invested in a tech stack, we've invested in a training methodology, and we really need to move our people. Uh, and I'm not going to say we've, we, we've been transactionally focused only, but those days are gone. It really is about the relationship. It's about understanding, as I said here, the true need. I mean, over 61%, according to a recent survey we did, of business owners have put new digital technology into their business flow over the last year. And so that does not just happen through osmosis. We need to educate. We need to teach. We need to bring in additional resources. So it's more important than ever. So fin final thoughts and, and, and question, really, how would you really in two parts, how would you grade us? And by us, I mean the collective of enterprises that are selling at scale to small businesses in our, on, on our progress or our success or our, our, our progress towards success or our success in helping small businesses adopt the major technology waves that we've experienced over the last 10 years, 15, 20 years, and that we are about to, again, experience more waves, whether it be artificial intelligence or whether it be 
um, you know, the next phase of 5G, whatever it is, how would you grade us? And then collectively stepping back for a minute, you know, your message to those of us who are selling at scale to small businesses, what do we need to do? What do we need to be focused on to actually make all this brilliant stuff that we're building and putting into the hands of small businesses actually usable, actually valuable for them? I'll start at the end of your question there. And the answer is that I believe as a seller of any type of technology, it is imperative for you to care for that actual adoption phase with a small medium customer. I'll give you an example in my personal life and it's technology, but it's different technology. Um, but my wife uh, owns a small one person shop, um, skincare business, and she recently bought a machine that allows her to do a higher level of service for her clients. And this machine, is very, very expensive into the tens of thousands of dollars. And they actually had somebody come to her brick and mortar location and walk her through exactly how to use the machine, what to do, what not to do. Uh, in fact, the person let her use the machine on her in a practice type setting. And I will tell you, if that didn't come with that machine, that machine would have gotten returned. It was complex. It was difficult. It was almost overwhelming coming out of the box. So there is a company that gets it like, okay, we are, this is an expensive product. We must make sure that the business is going to know how to use it. I would say that goes all the way down to what the seller might think is a simple technology because it, it, it's not what you or I think of our product. It's what the end user thinks. So uh, can your business sustain sending somebody to personally train everybody that you sell something to? Probably not. In this business model, it does work, but I would find a way, whether it's over video or tutorials or wherever it is. And again, leveraging technology to help technology adoption. So providing that customer maybe with a series of videos. And if that doesn't work, then maybe they can live chat with somebody or maybe they can video chat with somebody. But whatever it is, I feel that that door should never be closed to the end user. Um, and I'll give you a, and another personal example, rideshare services. I, I don't, I don't want to name uh, the, which one because it, I'm not going to be disparaging, but there's one that I was using for a long time that you just can't communicate with them around if you're having an issue, if you're having a concern, everything goes through email and you get a bot related response. And there's been so many more times that I say, you know what, I'll just eat the $50 or whatever it might be because I'm now wasting more time to try and communicate, right? So your accessibility to your clients, I think is paramount. By the way, I switched ride share services because of that. And so it's it doesn't matter what your product is or what your industry is, but when it's some sort of technology or application that that business is going to rely on, it should be just as important, and you said this earlier, to get that adoption curve up than it is to make the sale itself. I feel like the sale is just one part in the early part of the process because the other side of this is you want referrals. You want people to speak highly of your product. And if they feel that you just sold them something and ran, it, you're never going to get there. So I just think that's critical. And, and one other point I would say, Dave, and I shared this when we were in Napa. So as Verizon, right, we have 135,000 employees uh, globally, and we buy technology all the time. And believe it or not, we struggle to adopt technology. I pay certain <laughs> monthly licenses for my own sales force, and I see the utilization. And it's not about micromanagement. It's about head scratching. Like, wait a minute, I'm paying all this money for a license and only 60% of the people use it on any given month. And out of that number, only 30% use it more than once. Like, wait a minute, I, I would be living in this technology. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, it's an education piece. People need to understand it. They need to see the value in it. They need to you know, ABC, XYZ, and some vendors will go back to and they will provide what level we need. Some don't offer it. It's kind of a figure it out type of thing. And some, and I feel our best class, almost best in class, push it on us. Like, no, no, no. If you're going to buy this and roll it out, we need to help train you on this. We need to show you what it's about, et cetera. Sales Navigator is a great example. Um, people pay for Sales Navigator. They don't even understand how to use it sometimes. LinkedIn has done a great job of educating us and showing us and teaching us and helping us. And that's how we're able to get the adoption rate and the utilization rate up. So I just thought it might be helpful to share that 
not only small business, a business that's in the technology business as big as Verizon. Uh, we struggle to adopt technology all the time. And the last thing I'll say is when we had to move from Microsoft to Google years ago, I mean, you would have thought like we were going to lose half of our workforce. People wanted to quit and go home. And, and now today, everyone loves G Suite. So it's very interesting. It is interesting. And it's, 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 uh, I think it's technology ado adoption, business, consumer, no matter what. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is a perpetual challenge, but one I think that you guys are obviously trying to address as best as you possibly can and, and are doing a, a great job of it. A lot of great lessons in here, Mark. Really appreciate you sharing with us and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon, man. Dave, hey, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate the partnership with the Institute. You guys are best in class. We love all of your members and really look forward to continuing to grow the partnership. Thank you so much. What the heck's going on with small business right now? That's a persistent question that every leader selling to small business at scale asks pretty much every morning when they wake up and every night when they go to sleep and all the minutes and hours in between. Here at the B2SMB Institute, we're fortunate to have a number of members who deliver research, insights, perspectives on small businesses 24-7. And we're giving all of them a chance to share with you what they see hear, and feel about our $500 billion marketplace. Our first listening post contributor, Stephanie Gorski of Accenture. Take it away, Stephanie. So in true SMB format, we want to make sure we're focused on the voice of the SMB. I have the unique pleasure, my name is Stephanie Gorski, of really representing Accenture consistently around listening and hearing what SMBs want the most, what their needs are, and what they're saying in the environment. We usually focus on top five insights, and the top five most recent insights that we've been focused on are as follows. We really hear, no matter what's happening in the economy today, no matter what's happening in the market, there's still a massive opportunity when we talk to our, as Accenture, enterprise customers and C-suite professionals globally to support SMBs in a bigger way. The amount of revenue, the amount of focus, and the amount of drive SMBs are in the economy is gigantic. And if we're not really focused on SMBs, this is a major gap in the market when we think about some of our biggest players. SMBs are really still the lifeblood. And when we think about SMBs, in order to make sure we're supporting them effectively, the number one thing that consistently comes up is that SMBs want to be engaged with other SMBs. So peer-to-peer -peer -peer engagement is really preferred. 78% of US SMBs trust their peers more than they trust the enterprises they work with. So even if they're buying or engaging with a larger company for a product or service, they still trust those smaller players more so, and they want to work with them. So US SMBs specifically recommend products to their peers two times more likely to drive love of the community, educating their peers than really their counterparts. So there's advocacy built into this too. When you actually have a peer recommending something, SMBs feel a deeper connection to the actual product or service. We see this evident every day as Accenture that there's more traction, retention, and truly communities around SMBs when we see the actual advocacy and love between SMBs supporting each other around a product or service. Now, because the economy's changing, the world's changing, and there's transformation across the board, number three is there's a need for really ingenuity and new strategies. SMBs specifically in different areas of how they burn their business, whether it be from marketing to support to um, sales infrastructures, have been using the same approach. We've seen specifically around advertising of reaching out to, and every SMB wants to attract or engage their customer base in a different way. But 42% of US and UK SMBs have been using the same approach to advertising for at least the last five years. And 50% of them have no plans of changing. 
This is not surprising. We're continuing to see that unless something pushes an SMB outside of their comfort zone, or there's a better way to actually learn a strategy, and an enterprise or another SMB is helping them, we're not seeing SMBs change. So even though we're seeing this lack of action, most SMBs, about 80% more, are interested in trying and learning new strategies. They just need the infrastructure and the support to actually get there. So we're seeing an opportunity across the board for peers, but also companies to come together supporting small, medium-sized businesses to help them learn new strategies that will drive their business even further. Our fourth insight that we're seeing right now is that the struggle to measure is real across the board. We're seeing it both on the SMB side of the house and the large company side of the house. SMBs are just not measuring the outcomes as often as enterprises are, but also they're not really understanding the ROI of each of their different investments. So when we talk about prices changing for SMBs or new products or also value propositions for them, there's gotta be a really clear return on investment of what it means for their business and one that's easy for them to measure and track. If the systems aren't set up to help support them in an extensive way, becoming really hard for SMBs to make a shift or change. Going back to our third point, they are both deeply connected. We're actually seeing something similar within large businesses too as well, that this, during this time where everyone's crunched for dollars and trying to make sure the most out of their budget, that ROI is becoming one of the biggest topics for everyone to think about as we approach the engagement model between enterprises and SMBs. And finally, as we think about engaging with SMBs in a different way, SMBs are very clear, especially in North America, that they desire a more holistic experience. I've been saying this for a while as we start thinking about point number five, that holistic addressing a core challenge for an SMB is critical to the success of any large or mid-sized company that is supporting SMBs. SMBs want to address their challenges, not be offered products and services in a sub-segmented way. They would switch, 55% of them would switch to a new business product vendor. So if you think about it, SMBs want stuff that's easy. They would take the time to switch and drive a new relationship, which isn't always easy, to make sure products and services work more seamlessly together. So that integration and that experience even if your company or how you work with an SMB isn't seamless today, the opportunity to really create an ecosystem around your product sets is one that SMBs are extremely interested in. So just to recap, top five points that we're seeing, SMB is still a huge market. This has not changed. For all the years I've spent focused on SMBs, it's still a huge market and it's still a really big opportunity. And quite frankly, there's still a lot left on the table to help make sure large businesses are supporting SMBs more effectively. Two, key way to focus on SMBs through peers. Leverage the SMB network to each other, communities, advocacy, word of mouth to drive that engagement with SMBs that you're looking for as an enterprise player. Three, SMBs are open to innovation and new strategies, but quite frankly, don't know how to do it and haven't changed a lot in the past couple of years because they haven't been supported effectively to actually engage differently. Four, return on investment is critical. It is a foundational cornerstone right now that no one is able to cut, to figure out across both enterprise and SMB. The struggle is real around it. And those that really figure out a crisp and clear ROI and value proposition will go further in this market. And then finally, make sure you have a holistic story around products and services that support SMBs more effectively. Integration and seamless experience is critical to SMBs feeling like they're working with the right business going forward. Thank you, Stephanie Gorski of Accenture. Good day, everybody. Dave Walker back here with Between Two Peas podcast. And I'm really, I'm delighted to have this guest who I've known for 
it's going to be six years now. Uh, one of the very early adopters of the Beta SMB Institute, uh, someone who I have just an enormous amount of respect for. She's a fellow CMO, and uh, I'd like to welcome Laura Goldberg from Constant Contact. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a it's a delight to have you. Um, you know, I when I was uh, writing your biography, you, you originally we were going to do this as a as a keynote at our leaders forum in Napa in May, and and fortunately you had some last minute change of plan changes of plans that couldn't be avoided. You have a real job and and uh, had to pay attention to that. Um, it, it was it was kind of like wow, reflecting on what you've done. When I met you, you were the CMO of LegalZoom, and then within a couple of years, you had moved to Atlanta to be the CMO of Cabbage, and then from Cabbage, you've now gone on to be the CMO of Constant Contact, and it, it seems to me like in that, just in that eight-year span of time, the, the wide variety of situations you've been in, products and services that you've been selling organizational structures that you've been working with, um, uh, rules and regulations around those industries that you've worked that you've worked for, whether it be legal or finance or, uh, uh, or, or email. I mean, they're all kind of these very different challenges that you've had to incorporate into your just general marketing thinking. But throughout, I, I thought that, that this notion of building trust between the brands and the enterprises that you were working for and your target in all three cases, which was small business customers, was something that was worth unpacking for, frankly, everyone in this business to small business space. So that's our topic. And I'd love you to really kind of start out with um, maybe a little history lesson on the your role at, at LegalZoom and then at Cabbage and then at Constant Contact with really kind of an eye towards what were the most significant customer challenges that you faced really in each of those situations? Excellent. Um, I love that topic. And um, I think now you uh, you make me younger than I am. I think I'm coming up on 10 years um, in the small business space, right? The, the thing that threads those three roles in really the last 10 years of my career together is that small business space. And it's because I love it. I love um, talking to the small business customers and building that relationship, which you are a thousand percent is trust related, right? When you look at small business marketing, I, uh, I, I like to equate it to like puppies and babies, right? It's it, after sort of their deep family ties, it's their lifeblood, right? It's what puts food on the table. It's what sends the kids to college or the pet to the vet or whatever it is. And so it's near and dear. And I think a lot of what is key in the small business marketing world is talking to that business owner like they're a person, right? And that, you know, they may be a master baker, but they probably don't know what legal structure um, they need to maximize whatever it is they're trying to maximize or minimize taxes. They uh, have an oven that breaks. They don't know how to get funding quickly and they want to build a customer base, right? And so in all of those roles, it's how do you become that trusted ven vendor, the one who gets them and you know, can help them get from point A to point B. And, you know, all, um, all three brands share that um, need of building a relationship and building that trust, but there are different challenges. I would say, you know, with LegalZoom, when I started, um, which is probably the most similar to Constant Contact, which I'll get to in a minute. So LegalZoom um, had been around for a while, um, and was well known because of advertising, but people didn't know exactly what it meant. I, I remember stopping someone on the street once or in an airport and was like, have you heard of LegalZoom? They're like, yeah, yeah, I know them. The ad that says, whatever, you guys do online legal. It's like, well, what do you think online legal is? And, you know, it, we had to build, you know, take a step back and say, okay, 
what are we trying to sell actually? Like we're not selling the law, right? You're not selling legal. Um, and it's like, you're, you're trying to sell confidence that you have the right structure that you, um, won't get in trouble for whatever reason. Um, if someone walks into your store, if, and, and that you have that peace of mind. So it was really about, okay, we have this incredibly well-known brand, but what does it stand for? And how do we um, define those values and those benefits and make sure the customer understands them, right? We're giving you peace of mind and it's coming through a structure, an LLC, uh, C Corp, whatever it is, um, through advice, through other services we offered. So I think that was really important, making that the product of legal tangible and making sure um, that the customer understood the value. Um, and then when I moved on to Cabbage, um, very interesting. So LegalZoom was and is the leader in the space. The the, there are competitors, but they're diffuse and smaller. And so I don't want to say it was easy, but we sort of owned the stage in which to speak. And then you, I got to Cabbage and lending is a very crowded space, right? You have everyone mm -hmm. from, you know, the SBA to PayPal to the bank on Main Street on the corner. And what we really we're trying to do was break down lending barriers, right? To, to mm -hmm. lend to small businesses, regardless of who they are, regardless of whether they knew the bank manager or not. And trust was incredible because to make you a loan, I needed some information that you care a lot about, right? Right. Your, right, your SSN, your EIN. Mm -hmm. I, I needed to peer into your bank account to mm -hmm. see, you know, to validate what you were spending money on and not spending money on. And for that, it was very much about the why, why trust us, why we need it. I don't need it so I can take over your bank account. I'm not going to do anything like that. Right. But we need to, you need to trust me. I need to trust you so that we can make a credit decision, right? A credit decision is um, much more difficult than uh, just putting something into a shopping cart and checking out. And so the challenge there was, was all about trust and for customers to give us access to that very private data um, so we could make, um, make an informed decision around lending. And, and then lastly, constant contact in some ways is a hybrid of the bo both. So the oldest brand, Constant Contact was launched in 1996. Um, and so, you know, one of the OG um, internet companies really had always had the mission of giving small businesses the same access to marketing tools and return analysis and the same thing that, you know, maybe you think is reserved for a bigger company. Um, and the challenge there is about, I don't want to say cool, but being modern and being, um, you know, up on the latest stuff. And so how do we show, we just launched, for example, our, um, our content writer, right? So mm -hmm. we, we use AI and ChatGPT and you can put in um, coffee shop opening, um, coffee mug giveaway in the date and we'll generate an email for you, right? Mm. Um, and so it's really cool, but our customers don't want to hear, you know, oh, we're AI, right? That's kind of big and scary. What they want to know is we can help you write emails that go to the right customers at the right time and have a great return, right? And so the challenge is how do you show that we're modern, we're using modern technologies. We're not scaring people by saying, you know, we've come, um, we've gone completely in a different direction, but we still have those roots. We still have best in class deliverability. We still answer the phone when you call us, right? So it's that balance of being modern, but still having the things that you love about the brand. 
you know, everything you've talked about in that entire career, and that was great, by the way, that was a wonderful, <laughs> that was a wonderful walk down a, a rich garden path. Um, every, everything you've, you've mentioned as far as kind of the actions or the, you know, the, 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 the points of view that you brought kind of to each of the different challenges, each of the different customer scenarios is, it has this element of trust to it built into it. I mean, that is the really kind of the trust test as, as I used to call it, that every customer has to go through with anyone that they are buying something from any product or service from in that maybe a good way to try to break this down into some, some, practical advice is just in looking at the customer, the quote customer journey of that initial first point of contact that, that in any of those companies, your marketing was making with a small business customer prospect and just talk about how did you, what was, what was your approach in trying to build trust with a complete stranger? I, always a challenge um, uh, in life and in business, right? Um, and, you know, I think really in all three instances, um, on that first touch, that first introduction is to really do two things. One, show hopefully a business that is relatable to your business. So, you know, you may be a professional photographer and I may be a coffee shop, but we're both trying to get and keep our customers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so to show like, hey, it, it it doesn't matter where you're from or what your business is, but we get the problems that small businesses understand. And look, we're going to show you by showing someone who looks like you, who walks and talks like you. Mm-hmm. And, and then the second thing is talking about features and functionality, but in terms of problems we're solving for you. So yes, we have list growth tools at Constant Contact, right? Where there are tools that you can get people to sign up and it adds to your list, but nobody walks into business and says, I want to grow my list right? They want to increase their their customer base. They want to grow their membership. They want more clients, right? What, whatever mm-hmm. that language is, it's talking into those sort of problem solving, that sort of problem solving language. I think that really establishes the basis. It, it, as long as you talk and approach in that language, it's really helpful. I, I think the other thing that I've always tried to do is have a rich library of customer stories, advocates, you know, in in the sort of blandish way, white papers in the most exciting ways, like jazzy customer stories, but to show, you know, kind of that, to have that other person vouching for you, if you will, out there and not, um, you know, yes, it's a customer, so uh, likely they're going to be positive, but, you know, that that's in a relatable way. You know, it, it's, uh, I, I, I wish I could give an attribution here, because I can't remember who actually wrote this wonderful, wonderful piece that um, described the, you know, this, this initial building of trust with a customer is really, oftentimes, is really grounded in proof of value, trying to race to prove as quickly as possible to the customer that it's worth listening to me because I've got something that you really need. And it's very presumptuous and it's very kind of, you know, almost forceful in a way where in reality, the more successful initial approach is, I think is what you're describing is proof of understanding. I get you. I'm listening. I've heard about the problems that you face. I appreciate the problem. I have empathy for what you're going through. And that that is sig- significantly more su- successful and effective than trying to race to prove value. There's plenty of time for that. Just try to get a relationship going. Is that is that something maybe that, that you've discovered along the way? A hundred percent. I think that it is super important, right? You need to have the credibility because otherwise, I, you know, I don't want to say most of the 
products and services that I've worked in are um, recurring, right? There's subscription models, they're mm-hmm. ephemeral, there's something like that. And so, right, there, there's sort of, I always like to say there are sort of two halves to marketing, right? One is getting them and two is keeping them, right? And so if you don't acquire a customer in a, um, in a way that builds that trust, it's going to be really hard to keep them, right? It's, you, mm-hmm. you need to build that. And it makes it um, so much easier, frankly, to keep them if they, you know, do the work up front, if you will. Like if you do the work and they do the work up front, then you're um, you're going to be in a much better place. Um, I, I want to talk about another phase that that um, Mark Tina, uh, who's the head of sales at Verizon Business, affectionately describes as quote the second sale. And he said that, you know, very oftentimes we are, we're driving towards that order, that, 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 that moment when we can produce an invoice, the transaction. And the reality is, is that particularly for a lot of the software and the technology that's being sold to small businesses by a lot of our member brands is the moment of the sale, the transaction is actually less important than the moment of adoption of real actual use. Yes. And he said they had to learn kind of the hard way that it wasn't enough to just simply transact for technology. They had to teach technology then and they had to really get in deep with frankly more actual activity and touch after the sale than they had even before it. And I just curious to get your reaction to that. Is that, is that another really critical moment of either making or breaking trust? A hundred percent. And everywhere, all three companies with the, all three small business companies, that's been so important, particularly with both Cabbage and Constant Contact, right? Because, you know, with Cabbage, you got qualified, right? Yay, nay, we will lend to you. And then, hey, you're going to use your line of credit and you, you need to activate it, if you will. And, and our sales team and frankly, marketing was broken into acquisition, activation and retention, right? Separate, separating that um, acquisition and activation because they were different. Um, and, and, and Cabbage was a little unique that way. But same thing at Constant Contact, right? If you sign up, but you never upload your contacts, you don't create an email or social post or an SMS to send and engage your customers, you're never gonna stay with us, right? And so you need to get them in, but then you need to get them engaged. And we work on that in a number of ways, whether that is making sure our knowledge-based and our community are incredibly up-to-date and interactive and responsive, we have a customer care team. And then unique to Constant Contact, we have a professional services team. So if you're just, you know, not good at looking at a blank piece of paper, which I will confess, I, I definitely like editing a piece of paper more than I like creating a piece of paper. Um, you know, we have people who will help you do that. And it's all in service of exactly what you're saying. Like if you sign up and even if you pay us for a few months, but you're not really using the product, you know, we're not going to get that lifetime value that we're aiming for out of that customer. So that's a hundred percent super important. So now in that in that phase, kind of post-sale, post-adoption, what what is the role of the community of customers, users, buyers, whatever label you want to put on, on them? What what role do they play in sustaining trust? between a, a, a brand and its its individual customers? Um, I, I think a very key one. And, and I think it's, I think unlocking that in an authentic way can be difficult, but it's super important, right? So um, our, our CEO always likes to point out that our number one video on our YouTube channel is a video explaining how to use our product by a customer, not us, that they just made on their own mm-hmm. um, to help out the community. And like, that's the nirvana, right? Right. Um, 
it doesn't always happen like with, um, uh, right? It doesn't always happen organically. There's some things, but nurturing that community, making it easy for that community to talk to each other, making it easy for that community to post feedback, give feedback, make videos, making them part of how the product is growing and evolving is key. And, you know, those communities can pop up everywhere, anywhere. Like they, we're really trying to build because we had a good base of a platform um, ourselves, but, you know, those may pop up in Facebook. They may pop up in Alignable, right? There are lots of places where those communities exist. And so I believe in building community, but I also believe in helping, a, you may have a community of customers that maybe somewhere other than your platform. And, you know, you need to be open to go to them as opposed to hoping they all come to you. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, that, that you're right. It's not easy. It is not easy. No. And it's fraught with, you know, the, this just kind of the, the twists and turns of human nature um, and the way that crowds sometimes behave and influence each other. But I, I'm with you. I think it's, it's just incredibly important and, and frankly now more than ever. Um, let's talk about the the period between um, really the COVID era and that two-year window where you know we were we began it all kind of in shock and awe of the impact that the the pandemic was having on on our businesses, on small businesses, our customers, our friends, our you know, the, it, it was extraordinary. And then we kind of all worked our way through to the other side of it with a lot of casualties, frankly, but we got to the other side of it. And now we're kind of now moving into an era in which we're, po the, the people describe as post COVID, but I really think it's really kind of just an accelerated evolution that was going to happen anyway. We're just there a little bit sooner because of what happened in COVID. Do you think that that period um, really helped to foster greater trust uh, between small businesses and large enterprises who were serving serving them just based on the, the the many many initiatives and gestures and programs and frankly dollar contributions that mm -hmm. large businesses were making to small business did that have an impact on kind of native trust that small businesses have of quote us uh, can I say, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was a mixed bag, to be perfectly honest. I, I, and I say that because I think it, it depends where small businesses. So I had a very strange COVID, like I was at Cabbage and like we had to shut down, right? We had no funding, no, no cap, no access to capital mm -hmm. and we ended up participating and became the second largest lender in the payroll protection program. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we came in after sort of the big guys, the big, the, the, um, the M's who we call S's in the SMP world mm -hmm. um, were, um, were, um, were serviced. And, you know, in some ways people were incredibly grateful that, you know, they could get access to the program without having to have a relationship with their bank. And, but in other, in other places, they were kind of bitter that they were getting hit so hard and it was such a pain to get mm -hmm. help. So mm -hmm. it was really fraught. And then in the middle of all that, or after um, some of it, I switched over to Constant Contact which I think really, and I think other businesses like Constant Contact did well because as businesses were forced to go online, they found tools that they didn't necessarily know were there. They didn't necessarily knew would help um, to make that, you know, that uh, change online or, um, um, you know, working, working as a, as an online company better. So I, it's interesting. I think it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think I'd like to say there's like skepticism in 
government and big companies and maybe um, some um, some uh, hopefully some uh, some trust in you know the small business service providers. Yeah, and listen, I think you're exactly right. I think it really was a mixed bag, and you know, one would like to believe that this halo of actions that large businesses were taking in the form of grants and special funding and all the rest would cast this great light over the entire small business ecosystem and say, see, we're not bad guys. We're not out here to, <laughs> we're not here to take advantage of it. Right. But the reality was, I think the, the, the assistance was so uneven. You know, you had, you had some very large names that basically all they did was discount their subscriptions by 20%. They didn't really offer any help help that, or right. anything that was substantive. And meanwhile, you had some that were spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars on assistance initiatives. And and I just think that it, an uneven response because of unevenness in the in the actions that were that were probably taken. I want yes. to wrap up by just asking you and 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 this is, you know, uh, a a a topic that I think that we've all grown sensitive to really over the last three years. And that's the, the underserved small business communities that ex exist in far bigger numbers than I, in my insensitivity, probably didn't realize until it was until the events of the last three years kind of brought it front and center um, to, to the, the small business ecosystem that I thought I knew so well. Um, what are, from your perspective, what are some of the things that those of us who are representing large organizations serving large communities of small businesses, what are the things that we can do to frankly build a more inclusive trust, um, amongst the underserved communities that, that exist in small businesses? Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. We just an uh, anecdote, we do a quarterly survey of uh, on small business trends. So we may be surveying small businesses or other people. And um, you know, we asked, you know, do you know who your small business is, is, you know, the small business in your neighborhood? And it was amazing. People are like, no, it's like, well, you know, your doctor is a small business and uh, the person who mm -hmm. walks your dog is a small business. When mm -hmm. you drop your kid off at daycare, that's probably a small business, right? Mm -hmm. it, it was sort of unbelievable um, the lack of knowledge of of those of that. Like it, it was kind of crazy, to be honest. I was surprised, um, and. I think it is like essentially anyone trying to make ends meet, ply a trade is a small business. Right. And, you know, just because they don't have a fancy logo or don't have a website or a shingle doesn't mean they're not a small business and they don't need marketing help or legal help or accounting help or whatever it is right it's right. um it, it's it's about just thinking differently about who these businesses are right it's it's i i remember when i started 10 years ago you know everyone had sort of a series a vc in mind when they were thinking about a small business it's like <laughs> no no no, no, no. That's not a, a small business. Your dry cleaner is a small business, right? right? Exactly. Like your your exactly. favorite taco joint is a small business. Like it's just, you know, um, really trying to break out of that. Oh, a business is like professional and people in suits and you know things like that. And and really, it's just anyone um, kind of plying a trade, if you will. Yeah, you crack open a topic for a different day, but I think a really yes. important one, and that is, you know, how do we engage consumers better as partners in the small business ecosystem? You know, we who have these tremendous resources of money and marketing and, and influence, how do we use that to really get consumers to understand better precisely what you're talking about? First of all, what is a small business? Well, it's a lot more than you think. 
you know, and how, how do you pay, better patronize small businesses? What is the, I know Eric Groves down the street from you at Alignable has done some absolutely fabulous research on the, the, the flow of dollars that go out of a community when you shop at a big box online store like an Amazon or a walmart.com. And it's breathtaking. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally in a, in a single dollar, 92 cents of it leaves the community entirely, never to return. Um, if you're buying from an Amazon, if consumers were armed with that knowledge, would they make a different choice right. for something that is just sim is simply right down the street from them um, at a local small business? Well, listen, this has been absolutely terrific. I knew it would be. Um, and I could go, I think we could probably go on for hours. Um, I'd love to have you back at some point at some point later in the year to, you know, talk about other things that you that that we're seeing that you're encountering. I think that, you know, it's always great to hear from. Uh, and I know our audience and our members really appreciate hearing from their peer leaders who are out there doing the job of winning and keeping and growing small business customers at scale every day. Um, and you're definitely one of our Hall of Fame leaders. So I appreciate you. I, I appreciate uh, the accolades. Um, and it's really great to talk to you and to talk about what's going on in our industry and the trends and successes. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks once again to Martina of Verizon Business and Laura Goldberg of Constant Contact and Stephanie Gorski of Accenture with our inaugural Listening Post segment. Upcoming episodes on the Between Two Bees podcast include interviews with Derek Ellington, EVP of Small Business at Wells Fargo, on the state of money for SMBs, Kira McCoy, Head of Small Business Advocacy for Meta, and Connie Evans, Founder and CEO of the enormously influential advocacy organization, the Association for Enterprise Opportunity. Listen on your podcast carrier of choice or link directly from our website, b2smbi.com. And don't forget to make your nominations for the 2023 Best SMB Awards. See our website for nomination categories and ballots. Hey, thanks for getting in the middle of it with me. Between two beats.